Nathan Dufour, merging hip hop and philosophy for change. Join us in this enlightening conversation with Nathan Dufour, a New York-based multi-genre artist known for his unique blend of music and philosophy. In this exclusive interview, we dive into Nathan's profound impact on humanity through his creative performances and global online presence. His popular YouTube channel, Nathanology, introduces philosophy for ecological action. This educational experience profoundly enlightens his audience, stimulating awareness and action towards a more sustainable year world. Stay tuned as we explore Nathan Dufour's vision, his art, his mission to evolve humanity's consciousness through his innovative approach to music. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. Welcome, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the guests that we have on today. Nathan Dufour is an MC and academic living in New York City, where he's built a distinctively diet. I can't, I can't say this approach to hip hop, exploring concepts drawn from philosophy, history, and physical sciences. He holds a PhD in classic classics and is known for producing quirky animated rap songs and music videos, versifying philosophical concepts. I'm so excited and pleased to welcome Mr. Nathan Dufour. Hi. Hi. How are you? And you can emphasize that where I did not say that correctly, but <laughs> you, you have this beautiful background uh, in, in philosophy and so many other things where I am not as well versed. Well, we each have our departments, uh, and that's you know that that's good. It's a good harmony. Uh, the word was didactic. That was the the word that Thank created you. the struggle, which means like thing things that teach. So that's a teachable moment. Didactic. It is a teachable te moment. Teachy things. <laughs> I love it. Well, 
I am pleased to have you on the show because you have so much light and wisdom, so much that you are really shining out into the world. So it's so cool. When I happened across you, I was so engaged with what you were presenting that I was like, oh my gosh, I need to contact this guy and have him on the show because you're just doing all the things and you're so passionate and you can truly see that along with this incredible creativeness that brings to light. And that's why it engages an audience. But let's start by giving our audience a little bit more background about you. Yeah, I uh, first of all, thank you for such a kind introduction. It's very nice to be here. You you have such a lovely aura, even traveling through the digital sphere. And so I'm very glad to be in company with you. And also, it was cool to be on a show that has an intro. Most Most <laughs> podcasts and shows are so laissez-faire you're just like on a zoom with somebody and then they slap it together but here i'm in a whole i feel like i'm on like you know regis and kathy lee or something it's like a whole you know apparatus <laughs> thank you um so that makes me happy um what was the question oh yeah where what brought me here i forgot the question let's let's give the audience more background more more insight on who you are I am an ongoing process. I'm an agglomeration of collaborating uh, cells, which are comprised of molecules, and those molecules of atoms, and those atoms of subatomic phenomena, blipping in and out of existence in their interrelation and mutually constituting one another. And yeah, I think that's the way that I would put it. Um, but yeah, I, I make songs about stuff. I make songs and essays and teach courses. I take various creative approaches to cultivating philosophy. And I'm super interested in that as a practice, but then I'm also very specifically interested in making philosophical ideas come alive in our actual behavior and making philosophy not just something that we think of as an academic exercise, but something that we think of as a behavior transforming and practice inducing force in our lives for our own individual well-being, for the well-being of our relationships. And specifically, uh, a lot of my stuff is about that application to ecology. Yeah. And that is definitely what grabbed me because you, and that's a mouthful. I could not repeat what you just said, by the way. And it's interesting because my audience knows those who, those who have followed me know oftentimes I do repeat what mm. my guests have said, and I'm not even going to try it, Nathan, but you know, that's why I have you here today is to really describe all of the things that that you're doing in your own words. And so I want to share with the audience a little bit too. And I think that I'd like to just go ahead and and share the screen and play something that you have created. So I'm going to start off right off the bat with that for the audience today. So you guys are in for a surprise. Um, I want to let you know too, let's go ahead and put this up. But Nathan's YouTube channel is where I found him and where I was drawn immediately. And so it's YouTube at Nathanology, where you can find him. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-O-L-O-G-Y. And I'm going to share with everyone here the screen so we get to see one of his creative works. If I can get to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, there we go. 
Let's get that full screen. Here we are. You ever look around like, holy shit, I actually exist. Like, whatever this is, whatever existence is, this is it. Or at least part of it. Not only is this it, but it is in a particularly complicated and existentially precarious state at the present time. That's to say the world as you know it is in a state of crisis. Or in any case, that's what you're told. And that's what you see on your screen. Or that's what you encounter in your immediate and first-hand experience of the crises you've seen. Temperatures are rising. Forests are on fire. Ice camps are melting. Sea levels are rising. Thousands of terrestrial species are going extinct each year. Artificial intelligence and other technological advances are transforming the very meaning of every mode of production and concept of self upon which have been culturally disposed to place value. Also, there may be aliens. There's a lot going on. So much that I both do and don't care. For in spite of this awareness, I sometimes feel strangely ambivalent. I am simultaneously aware of and indifferent to the very real possibility of my civilization's imminent demise. I feel like I'm constantly racing to fill the obvious gap between the world as it now is, between my actions and my values, with every possible distraction and interference. I fill the gap with entertainment, with solipsistic neuroses, with anything that can possibly distract me from the strange existential fact that I'm actually here, and the equally strange existential irony that I have no immediate connection with that which constitutes my own material being. Where do I get my food? What do I do with my waste? And how do those processes affect my fellow beings? And even though I didn't come up with this system, should I actively try to change it, or is it better to just sit here and pulsate in the terror of the void? Does it matter? Do I actually have a responsibility to give a shit about anything? That's a legitimate question. That is, in fact, a philosophical question. And it might be finally time to take philosophical questions seriously. Is there actually anything wrong with letting it all burn? Or is it the case, on the other hand, that not only does it matter, but that implicit in the nature of the universe is an ethical responsibility to care, not only for our own well-being, but the organic interrelations of the planetary biosphere for their own sake, that we're here not only to enjoy and avoid pain, but to be in service, because in the end that's no crazier than the notion that whoops, we're just randomly here and shit's on fire and I hope it doesn't happen to me. I've been thinking about these things. Well, I mean, obviously, I've been thinking about these things. And I don't want to just talk about them, you know? But I do realize that human action has its roots in conversation. And I guess I'm just trying to have this conversation and then make something happen. So I created a philosophy course, the Intro to Philosophy for Ecological Action. The Intro to Philosophy for Ecological Action. Maybe you're an activist who's looking for a therapeutic space to find spiritual support for what you're already doing. Maybe you're an overthinking intellectual who's pretty sure you should be taking action but can't crawl out of your own self-consciousness long enough to do anything at all. Maybe you're just lonely and scared and bored and eager to learn. Whatever you are, if you're like me, you're looking for a home. A home. home. From the Greek ikos, we derive the expression ikosophy, the wisdom of the home. I'm inviting you to join and creating a new home. A home that is not just the physical space you happen to live in. A virtual home that is not just social media. A home of the self within the universal home. A philosophical community to collectively re-examine our relationship with nature and the ethical responsibilities that evolve from that analysis and then on a basis of what's known. To take real action and not do that alone.
So this definitely brings in, oh, hold on a minute. Okay, so it definitely brings in this piece about you that that definitely shows what you're doing, how you're doing it, and the way that you relate to other people. What I love about this is the way that you describe things. It's almost as if you're having this conversation with yourself. Mm -hmm. And when people listen to it that way, it's like, these are the questions that I'm asking myself in my own head. And because you're offering it that way to uh, your audience, it, it just, it has this relational sense about it that is right off the bat where people want to relate, dive in, want to know more because they're already asking themselves this question, these questions, or they're asking themselves, well, should I be asking myself these questions? So I'm curious too, is, are, are these programs, because it makes me think that these should definitely be playing in middle schools, high schools, and educating kids across the board. Uh, yeah, the um, the hope would be, I guess, that they get shown in those contexts, although I think they sometimes do. I don't know if they always do. Maybe part of what makes them effective, ideally, though, is that they're not forced into those contexts. Sometimes I hear from somebody that it's, oh, my teacher made us watch this and I really enjoyed it and that makes me happy. But I have learned that I don't want to try and force creativity into institutional education because in a way, everything that enters the institution gets subsumed into the emotional texture of the institution. And so if you mm. show up in like a high school and be like, here's a rap about philosophy, it's going to it's going to land like that, where you kind of have to encounter it in the wild, which part of my soul, my whole sort of raison d'etre is that sort of that same principle that originally one did encounter philosophical ideas in an artistic type of context in the ancient world. And so I want to sort of recreate yeah. those conditions of the space where we gather to experience the festal and experience art and experience the crazy chaos of public discourse, like on social media, that's analogous to the context in which philosophy first originated in Western civilization and also in other cultures of which we have evidence. Yeah. Are you referring to more like that theater? Aspect? Yeah. 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 The, the theatrical form. aspect. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was yeah. just an original unity of the role of art and the role of binding the community together in an examination of its own ideas that has been kind of lost in some ways, like the figure of the bard or the West African griot, or even the shaman just as a category of like the person who cultivates ideas and presents them in a way that's compelling. Um, and it is scratching the itch of entertainment and of instruction. And now we think of those things as much different categories, but I don't think that they're different categories. Ultimately, I really think that they're one thing and that when things are functioning most powerfully, they're creating that whole um, complete circuit. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that story form is so powerful. I say that so often on the show mm. that the the power of our, our stories is really how we make so much impact. And it's because people can have that relation where they can say me too, and want to improve. Because if if somebody else has had similar experiences and they have come out from it, you know, in a great way, then that gives us the empowerment that we can do it as well. Yeah. So you talk a little bit about that video where you, you want to bring in this community aspect and how you make the bigger impact because you're questioning these things and you want to see some sort of change 
And how do you do that? So you go into that community base and where people start talking. What else have you been doing alongside that? Or what is what stemmed that? And why do you feel that way? That's such a good question. Yeah, this so this philosophy course that that video is an introduction to and an invitation to this is this third round. And it's a convergence of a lot of things for me. I'm working with my friend Danu to create the network that uh, hosts it, which is called Grokist. And uh, that has been a, a site of holism for me because I like operating in the social media space to a degree, but I don't love it. It's not mm -hmm. a good neighborhood, really. It's it's okay, but it's kind of like trying to paint the Mona Lisa and then like leaving it out on the street. You know what I mean? With all the things that happen on the street. You want it to get Aww. seen, but it also it's not the place where uh, care is cultivated just because of how the technology happens to have developed. And there's lots mm. of reasons for that. But my goal has been to create a new space. And so with this thing, Grokist, I really feel like I am undertaking that now um, in collaboration with some friends of mine. And it's named after the novel Stranger in a Strange Land, which is um, this novel about this human being who gets raised on Mars and he comes back to Earth. He was raised on Mars from infancy. And so he's essentially a Martian, even though he's human uh, genetically. And he has these sort of powers that are transcendent of human capabilities, like he can make things levitate and he can kind of just see into the essence of things. And this Martian word to grok means essentially that, to see into the essence of things, to understand in such mm -hmm. a way that you also empathize with and love and fully embrace a concept in your consciousness and in your soul. And so that's what that space is about. So I've lost track of the question, actually, but it was something about Oh, I guess how what, the, the connection between different things that I'm trying to explore, I guess, something along those lines. The, yeah. the, the connection of why you feel that human connection and talking about things really is, is how you want to maybe expose. But I like that where you went with your explanation of <laughs> your, your, uh, your description of like YouTube or well with anything social media, right. And you putting the Mona Lisa out and it's just laying there on the street with all of the things. And, and so I, I understand that where it's, it's all, it's this necessary evil or this is it's essential aspect of where we are uh as as a species right now all of the things that we have the the technology that we have i mean the way that we can really push out exposure into the world and share the message that we so desire is really through this aspect and it's a beautiful thing because at what point in history have we really been able to do something like this where it's being broadcasted on a worldwide, you know, view and such as the show, this is given to a worldwide audience if they so choose to actively engage. And so we're in this incredible time in history to offer that. But I also want to go back to your, your story of the Martian. And it just makes me think so much about that's really just an evolved human being where I ultimately would love to see us go. Yeah, I, I have that same goal. And I guess, you know, it starts with my own behavior. An another motivation for that course and for its concept is related to that, which is that I'd been making art of this kind for quite a while and I'd been teaching for a while and I'd been in interested in philosophy for a long time. But 
recently, just in the past little era of my life, like in the past year, year and change, I would say, I've been realizing the, the immense gap between my psychological, cerebral, intellectual interests and my behavior and my sort of heart groundedness. And so I'm trying to really bridge that gap. And the course is kind of about that. It's about come talk about philosophy, but then have that discussion culminate in an actual project that you're undertaking, whether it's something that's community oriented or something that's behavioral just in your own day to day or some mix of both in order to really generate that holism. Because I think there's not a lot of spaces that invite us to do that. Social media mm -hmm. gives you life hacks, but it doesn't really look into the why behind them. You know, the deep essence of why would we even want to improve our lives in a certain direction or not? What are the ultimate values that we construe in the fabric of reality itself such that we would have an ethical obligation to improve ourselves or our community? It doesn't ask those questions because those are very immense questions that are better served in a conversation like this. It just gives you the hacks. And similarly, in a philosophy course in an institution, you don't talk about the what. You don't talk about the hacks, the life hacks. You don't go approach that at all. You just talk about the why in an abstract sense. Socrates thought X, Y, and Z, or, and, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And so it's and everybody to gets to come to their own conclusion. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Their own choices. Unlikely to affect your life, except insofar as it affects your grade, which, you know, affects your employment. And so that's not really the point of philosophy. And I would also yeah. argue that in a way, it's not really the point of social media or media of any kind to just blindly give us uh, behavioral modifications. We have to ask what the modifications are rooted in and really try and get down to the deep mystery of things. And so that's what the attempt is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I hear a few things, Nathan, like where, you know, it sounds like the the right brain, left brain hemisphere is where you're trying to really merge those mm -hmm. and make sure there's some sort of balance where you're you're coming into the world with, you know, the, the intellect and then the the more emotional, uh, spiritual aspect of us. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that so many of us are on that journey as well, where we're really trying to, how do we, how do we blend those two in order to show up more uh, evolved, advanced in order to, you know, share that with others. But what I like so much about what you're doing too, is you have the, the key thing where it all starts on an individual level. And I think you mentioned that a few times throughout a few of your videos. I haven't watched a lot of them. I've been watched a few of them, but you do include that. And I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people. And it's interesting because there are those who feel the exact same way. Derek Kayongo comes to mind and he's an incredible guest that I've had. Mm -hmm. He's a refugee out of... Um, uh, Uganda back in the nineties. Mm -hmm. And so he's, he survived a genocidal wars, but he also said that really it all starts on an individual level where, you know, as far as Africa goes, stop pumping money into it because that's not how we yeah. solve the solution. The solution is literally individual. And yeah. so how do you meet and inspire, you know, the individual to create change within themselves on a continuous basis. Cause it's not a, not an end all, right? Our, our evolution is this continuous journey where it doesn't ever stop. Well, at least I don't know. And none of us do because we haven't gotten there. Right. Yeah. I don't think, so. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. This has been a constantly recurring theme in some of my recent conversations and inquiries and reflections, which is personal responsibility and individual action. For instance, in the ecological context, there's a lot of people who, within environmentalism, will push back against the uh, objective and the injunction to emphasize individual action because they'll say, well, most of the problems are not caused by individuals. It's actually caused by the people who control the markets and you know, central governments and also really the corporations mainly, which are these huge conglomerates that really materially cause most of the problems. And when we say you know, individual action, individual action, actually we're just repeating a slogan that originates with precisely those companies that cause the problem. And it's a way of them divesting themselves of moral responsibility and pushing it onto the individuals. And that's mm -hmm. a valid critique. It is. It's a good point mm -hmm. to make. It's a good mm -hmm. point to make. And in addition to that, it remains true that personal responsibility and personal action are still the essence. So in other words, they can co-opt that and they can try and make that a scapegoat, but they can't really corrupt the fact that it just remains how life works. Existence is constructed from the inside out. You know, all of the different parts that make me, make me. And all I and others like me make my community. And so it's about that rings expanding outward. But we're really encouraged, I think, to think in terms of global solutions or giant policy platform positions or taking a side in a war that's across the world as though our performance of allegiance thereto to either side were an effective action. It's not really. We can have opinions about it. Obviously, we can't help but have opinions about it. We can have deep concern and even personal investment. But our actual world is a material world. Internet, though there be, my actions right here, what I do with my flesh and blood, you know, still is where things start. And so it's a very simple fact, but I'm very gradually awakening to that in my own behavior, you know. Yeah, well, I really like that you bring that up. That and it is an incredible point. You're 100 where you know places will say, "Well, it is the individual," and we want to push that off onto the individual with the decisions. And yet, when we are consumed with this environment of this is what we've been bombarded with, this is what we know because of that influence, well, it's difficult to come to an individual decision when we don't know otherwise. So it's when it comes into the awareness of when we are learned and we're taught, you know, and, and it's, again, a challenging thing when we're not educated in this initially. And I think that by us having conversations like this and us being able to push the information out into the world, it is definitely starting to shift and people are starting to come into more awareness. And then they get to start voting with their dollar or sharing the stories or what have you. I like that optimism. That's a refreshing expression of optimism because I think in my own context right now, I don't hear a lot of optimism of that kind. could be because there's a distinctly visceral amount of conflict going on right now. But yeah, I like that. I do think that there is a shift in play and there are all of the ills that come with it. I mean, the, we talked about the social media apparatus being a very problematic one. I kind of liken it, I likened it to like a street earlier, but Maybe it's better likened to like a superhighway or an interstate highway system. Huge cost comes with that. Financial cost, 
huge ecological cost, all the ecosystems it disrupts, and it's sheer pain in the ass to be stuck in traffic and driving it every day. And yet it connects us. And so it's a start and you're on the highway. So continue and get to your destination and then consider how you want to improve the highway um, and participate in it. And so I think you're right that in general, there are at least as many instances of consciousness opening up and relationality becoming lived as an experience by virtue of these shifts in discourse. And so I think that's something very much to be celebrated and and remembered remembered because <laughs> it's easy to just whine about it all the time i find myself doing that sometimes yeah well that's that's definitely easy to do and i'm sure that you know based on your conversations and surroundings that that definitely comes up uh you know it's funny because when we talk about how let's not watch the news because it's this constant bombardment of negativity mm -hmm. and yet you know, when you're in a position that you're in, you have to be uh, in the understanding of what is happening, right? And, and so you have to know what is going on in order to stay current with the conversations that are taking place within your wheelhouse. And so there's this, this barrier of how do I really come across and, and, guard myself or, or make sure that there's those boundaries in place to where I'm able to hold the space for all of this negativity and show up and do the things in the world where I am showing up as a creative and the positive light, because you are doing that, Nathan, which is incredible. So as you say that, you know, what I'm hearing is a lot of negativity in the world, but yet you're producing something that's really incredible and really positive. You're also keeping it really realistic. And as I went back and I said, you know, Nathan, something that I really love about what you're creating and the YouTube videos that you're portraying is that you, you have this in this question context of you're asking yourself these questions. And it too relates to the audience where Yes, I asked myself the same question. So it really puts you on this reality ground and what can we do about it? So something that I'm curious about is, is you have this beautiful history of, and, and you continue to do so, but this philosophical journey, what are some of the things and key takeaways that you have learned on this journey? And I know there might be a few, but what are some of the things that that really were profound, that made a shift in you? Great question. Um, numerous things come to mind. I think I'll go in reverse order of history. The most recent and most seismic thing that I feel like I've realized, I made a little bit of a mention of it earlier, which is that there is a difference between experiencing an idea up in their head and experiencing a reality in your heart or living a reality in your heart. And even what the meaning of heart is, is sort of new to me. I have a friend, uh, this thinker and feeler named Amanda Nicole, who is going to be offering a course on this soon, actually. And we were discussing this concept and it really started to make me realize a crucial difference in myself. The, the, the experience landed on me in a very particular and distinct way because I played this show this summer and I'd been going through a lot of stuff this summer. I was going through a lot of sort of personal uh, immolation. I was just falling apart kind of. There was a lot of different things that contributed to that, but I was not 
feeling well. I was feeling very destabilized. And I played this show. The, the show was fun because I got to play a long set, and my sets involve a lot of me running my mouth and talking about philosophical ideas and then segueing into a song and segueing out again. And I was talking about stoicism, and I was talking about mental health, and I was talking about God, like the role of God in terms mm -hmm. of the cosmic principle of uh, relationship and relationality itself. And I was just yammering about all these things. And I, it was a good set. And this lady came up to me afterward, and she was like, uh, you are very smart and you are very good at talking about mental health and about these concepts and the concept of God, but you need to find him. <laughs> and I was I like, that funny, just because wow. <laughs> I, I get that. <laughs> I feel that as I, as I see what you're doing and I'm talking to you. So I think that's beautiful. She said that. Yeah, it was a good, um, analysis. And so, or an insight rather. And so I have been working on that. It's kind of hard to describe what the work is because it's very intangible. It's There's behavioral aspects to it. There's praying and meditating with much more regularity. There's mm. reminding myself that these things that I'm talking about, like the notion, like I explore in that video, does it matter or not? We don't actually know. There's no, there's no firm empirical knowledge of it. Reality is a question. So the questioning remains. But when you do the questioning, you have to take at least as seriously the possibility that it all does matter, that there's purpose here, mm. that there is purpose here directed not just to your self-satisfaction and your avoidance of pain, but your service to things, not in an obligational enslaving way, but your devotion to others yeah. and that there's a reason for that. And that reason is because the source wills it so. And invites you mm. to do that. Yeah. That's actually possible. And again, it's not something you can look up and confirm by reading a Wikipedia about facts. It's something you can trust in as a faith. Yeah. And you can trust in that faith even while you continue to question it. Yeah. So. I think that's beautiful. And I'm curious because now you have gone sort of on this journey of meditation and you're starting to go within Nathan. And what I would love to know, because, you know, as, as far as uh, the philosophical history, et cetera, or, or people who are just have this ingenious aspect of themselves, Einstein, you know, and, and others, you know, they, they have really gone within, um, they take naps, right. But, but some of that is really going into the unconscious world where there's so much of that creative aspect. When we, when we go within and we withdraw from the world and we, we let open into the unconscious, subconscious, what have you, whatever you want to call it. But that is our creative selves. And it really gives us answers and insight into the questions that we have when we're living in this, you know, virtual reality space. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, my question, Nathan, to you is, have you found that you have, you know, since journeying into more meditation and everything, are you finding that you have become a little more awakened in the creative side? Yes in a different way than I would have foreseen. I have always been pretty creatively fecund and fruitful. What has lacked is the external manifestation of it in my 
activities where I am sort of living my philosophy by the choices that I make about what I do with my time. I've been doing a lot more sort of service oriented things and that has nourished my creativity, at least in its essence. And I think that the way that I would put it is not even going within because I've always been very within. I've been very internal. So internal that I can't always perform even as well as I want to, you know, because when you're with another human being, you can't be within. You actually want to be right at the edge of your being. And I've been afraid to be there. And so the meditation I almost think of as a coming back to matter and coming out of the within into the what's there. And that has been a shift. I've sometimes been calling it my ascent into the body. In wow. Western metaphysics, there's this sort of connotation of the body is lower and the supreme, the ultimate, the transcendent is higher. Mm. But I've been thinking of it the other way. Like I'm I'm rising into this thing, this thing that felt before kind of like a puppet and embodying and yeah. That's such that, a cool way to put it. Mm. What felt like a puppet before. I you know, and I think that's a really great way to put it because I, I feel like when we start to come more into contact with that spiritual aspect of ourselves. I mean, when we talk about we are energetic beings, period, we have, we've proven this scientifically, we know this. And when we start to embody that, it's almost as if from, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost sounds like what you're describing is you're, you're feeling the whole essence of self. Yeah, I think that could be a good description of it. And mind you, this is on occasion when I'm doing well, when I'm in the pocket, you know, yeah. that's all. I'm just trying to check in more or just checking in with the mystery of things. Just like, yep, this is really going on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Nathan, you are, you're a comical person. You <laughs> really invite this, this humor aspect of yourself. And it reminds me a lot of people like Robin Williams, where <laughs> You know, he he's very comical and he also has this massively huge heart where he wants to bring in that servitude into the world in some fashion. And he did it through his performance and his mm -hmm. arts and his creative endeavors and also through that comedy aspect. And we all know that it was pretty dark. Uh, on the inside, right, where he had a lot of things that he battled. And I think we all do. But it's interesting how some of us really portray that um, externally, you know, in order to yeah. navigate that. Wow, that's a beautiful association and an honoring association to even have that be evoked. Because, um, yeah, that's a good description of what he did. And it makes me think about how, yeah, he's very funny. But it's not like the science of comedy. It's not like one-liners or jokes or bits reduced to being repeatable. It's just being present with others out of yeah. a deep need and a desire to give. And it makes me think, too, that, yeah, there was that darkness there. I think we give the gift to the world that we most need ourselves. We give it yeah. to the other as though to ourselves. And so mm -hmm. a song or a performance, it's like this thing that you really need to hear for you, but there are others who also need to hear it, and in that you discover that we're one entity, and yeah. I agree with that deeply. 
And, and, you know, now I want to go back because you, you're, you're more of a, the master in this, because I don't know a ton. But philosophically, let's go back and let's relate that to how we, you know, showed that human relation connection performance through performance, right? And then we're talking about the stage and we, we shared our stories and we shared our insight in an educational aspect as well. And during those times, there was also a lot of tragedy happening where we were, uh, public execution, beheading, all of these things that were really grotesque. And so that's, I'm kind of relating that with the aspect of how you said, Robin Williams, the performance, it's really being in the present and bringing to light, you know, something that's really beautiful in the sense of, you know, tragedy that also mm. is with us all the time. And nobody gets out of this life without having tragic circumstances throughout our life. And it's going to be different for everyone. And we're going to perceive it differently, of course. And, you know, where it's impacting our, us all on a different level, but nobody gets out without that. And I also would venture to say that is how our souls evolve and grow is through that. And we have to have that. It's just a piece of how we're created. Mm. But I'm curious, going back to what is your thoughts on that, where, you know, it's it's bringing in this entertainment also during a time of, of grotesque uh, mannerism? Wow. That is a good question. There's many things woven into that probably too many <laughs> well no I, I don't know if there i don't know if there's too many let me think about them so you're asking sort of about the relation between the vividness of being in the present but if we're talking about the vividness of being in the present as a sort of performative act and as a quasi meditative or relational act that precisely in acknowledging that space we must acknowledge also the present reality of grotesque atrocities happening all around us. Like if I'm really present with you right now, which I'm endeavoring to be and relaxing into being, I acknowledge too that I'm aware and confronted with images of across the world in a place where there's people I know, there is just mm -hmm. ravaging destruction and demolition of human life and and human uh, community. And that is troubling. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, of the fact that I tend to put on a pedestal certain aspects of the ancient world, like this integration of performance and philosophy as being an integration we need to reclaim. But it's good to keep in mind, as I think your question also implies, that in that same context, there was atrocity on a scale proportionally speaking, that far exceeds the atrocity we witness in our lives now. So much more intense <laughs> to be alive in some ways for many people, for more people at that time than at this. And it's worth asking, is there a relation between that connectedness of body and mind, philosophy and performance, art and teaching, the present moment and the idea, and violence and terror and the things that make us animal because if you connect with the body you're connecting with the animal and i think there is a truth in that which is not to say that the reintegrations that i 
espouse and advocate should have violence packaged into them or must necessarily be so. But it's precisely the part of ourselves that's capable of violence that we need to reclaim in our actual experience. To be constantly aware that you could be violent mm -hmm. is in a way, I think, the precondition for not finding yourself spiraling into it or spiraling into self-violence. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's something about just being real is yeah. important. And you you don't have to return to, you know, barbarousness, as it were, um, to reclaim some of the things that existed in a more quote-unquote barbaric age and reintegrate them. Because there was a baby in that bathwater, you know. Yeah. Well, you're talking about really recognizing and acknowledging that human reality of us that is part of our makeup is where we can become very uh, animalistic. Mm -hmm. You know, there is that animalistic side to us and mm -hmm. there is that more uh, rational evolved aspect to us as well, but really coming into the acknowledgement and awareness of that. I feel that if you suppress that too much, it can become very dangerous. And it's just like suppressing, you know, those emotions where we keep pushing it down, pushing it down and bottling it up until we just explode. And that is where it becomes very unhealthy. So I see where you're going there, where it's like, it is in that recognition and that awareness and, and being like, okay, I understand this, I recognize it. And now how do I choose to respond? Uh, you know, it also reminds me a lot of going into, you know, people nowadays would call it like the the shadow side or shadow work. I, I, I don't usually refer to much of that, but that's what it makes me think of because it really is in essence that piece of us, the yin, the yang. And, you know, we, we are not, you know, well, would I venture to say whole without all of those aspects? Because who is to say whether it's right and it's wrong? Who makes the decision of right and wrong? And that's going a lot deeper there, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up because we need to negotiate what we think right and wrong really are, which is, of course, a philosophical thing, but it needn't be just an armchair philosophical thing in the way that we were talking about it. It's an urgent question to evaluate. It comes up constantly in ecology because we have to confront situations where we go, do the rights of this ecosystem or this non-human entity exceed or are at least on par with the rights of human entities to self-actualize? How do we make those judgments? And the insight of existentialism and the insight of psychoanalysis and of depth psychology and of things in that sort of realm from the late 19th and 20th centuries, which divested the world of the traditional structures of meaning that we thought were there and we thought were absolute, like absolutes about right and wrong. It said that those are just constructed and all you are is layers. That's very valuable. It only on the surface leads to the corollary that there is no right and wrong to be found. What it means, in fact, is that as we journey together through those layers, we can make a collective decision about the kind of world we actually want. Yes. And I don't want a world where I'm in danger of being brutalized or where I derive satisfaction or livelihood from brutalizing others. I yeah. don't desire it. And when then we choose electively and collaboratively to 
create a world that reflects that care. It's the other way around to the same destination as we got to if we were radically accepting do unto others as a divine injunction. And we, in choosing that, in a way, become the divine agent giving the instructions, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think, Nathan, that a lot of what this is coming to is we we come to a general consensus as a, a society, right? We come to the societal standards that we all come to the general consens consensus of, which becomes our truth because there are more than uh, one of us that have come to the conclusion, which then becomes our truth, right? Mm -hmm. And in that, what you're creating with with the the music and the times, I, I love how you bring it back into you know, you're addressing the audience to what we have today through the music. I like to say that music is a bridge to the soul, but mm. you are inviting a new idea into uh, the, the perception of others through that, through the lens of and, and the, the vehicle of music and insight. And it definitely can help shape and bring us to more of that general uh, conclusion or consensus of a new idea, really sh helping shape shift the world. And so, uh, I don't know, I I'm sure you realize that that's what you're doing, but I think it's really a beautiful thing. And, you know, when you start contemplating, how do I get to that point? How do we invite a different idea in order to have a, uh, a general consensus of an idea, you know, in order to make it somebody's truth? And I think that you're doing a very good job at doing that. That is really a beautiful and very kind and generous reflection. I really am joyed by hearing that reflected. I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's lovely because that's the application of the thing that I am trying to cultivate, which is to make it not about me but not not about me. <laughs> I, I realized that I wanted my work to be not about me. And then I was like, oh, shoot. I called my thing Nathanology. That's like, <laughs> couldn't be more about me. But then I was like, okay, well, that's kind of honest. Because by being truly about the self, you're being about others. And mm -hmm. then it will reflect in a way where, like I said, you're giving that gift to others that you would want for yourself. And even the the name Nathan means gifter so that he has given. So it's like a Aww. it works in that sense. But I hadn't foreseen that. I wasn't thinking about that. It just worked out that way. But I'm just glad. I, it really gratifies me to hear you describing the undertaking as being part of that process of opening up that space for people, because that seems to be what you're doing as well. And yeah. I'm glad that we're doing that together. So. Yeah, I am too, at 100%. And, you know, it's interesting that you go that route where, you know, I created this, this thing, Nathanology, and it happens to be more about the self when I really wanted it to be outside of the self and reflected on other people. I get that because 
I created the wellness driven life show and I didn't want my name. It's not the, the April Chavez show because I, that's, that's the exact same thing where I didn't mm. want it to go there, but I love how you brought in it. Well, it's very authentic and it's very, it, it's very truth written where th this is what I propose because these are my ideas and I invite you to look at them and, and follow along and see what you think and make the choice to also follow along or uh, make the decisions to improve yourself and to show others. Because I think that's what happens when we start working on ourselves on an individual lever, it, level. It just really propels that energy onto others and leading by example, right? Mm -hmm. I think I have always felt that that is one of the biggest impacts we can make is through that story, but really leading by example. I mean, say for instance, you're in a position where your surroundings and the people that you're around are, are really toxic. You can't change them. But yet when you make the changes for yourself, everything else starts to change, you know, in its own way and things start falling into place. And that's just how it happens. But, you know, uh, you're welcome, by the way, for saying that, because that's how I view it. And, and the way that you're, you know, portraying the things into the world. And, and I love that. And I love that about this show too. I love being able to interview people where they're from all sorts of different cultural backgrounds and they have different stories because if it was just me, then not everybody on a, on a worldwide perspective is going to be able to relate to all of my stories mm -hmm. and my history and my ideas. And, but yet they might be able to relate with you on a different avenue right yeah 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 and then you perform such an important uh role in that play of being the connecting force and the, the 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 opener of the door and the one to create the connective tissue for the people that you're introducing folks to and i just think that's wonderful you do strike me as somebody who i would guess is able to connect with a lot of different people on the level that they happen to be on and in and who express themselves in the way they happen to maybe in a way that probably transcends, you know, political affiliation, social construct, social persona construction. You seem like you probably have that gift. So it's this good, it's good that you're doing this. <laughs> well, Nathan, that is an incredible, uh, thank you. Because, and I say that because it's easy as a human being to get intimidated, especially me with you. I mean, you have gone through, uh, a lot of, university, whereas I have not. So our levels as far as communication go are a lot different. So that being said, for you saying that I'm able to relate with a lot of other people is, is a really incredible compliment. So I want to just take a minute and soak that in because I feel <laughs> really good about it. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm pleased for that gift if it is a gift because when I interview so many people, you know, I just want to push, provide positive insight to others. My ultimate beliefs is that we are more powerful than we ever could imagine. And you're talking a lot about that on the show where you're going into the self and you're connecting with the spiritual and the physical, and you're starting to understand what that is and learn what that is and see how it feels. And it's ever evolving. And because you're able to, you know, go into that and be curious enough about that, it, 
it is a gift to the world because you are experiencing the gift that was given to us. And so thank you. And yeah. I want to wrap around back to about the things that you're doing in the world. Nathan, what is the, the big audacious goal and the what's next for you? Wonderful question. Um, a number of things. I'm going to be continuing to put out a lot of art, a lot of videos, a lot of songs, and some also some essays, and hopefully eventually some books. So those are the expressions. But of equal importance with that is continuing to develop this community that I was talking about, the Grokist community, because it really is attempting to instantiate these ideas of creating a space that is like a university in the sense that it's about the ideas, but it's not just about the ideas up here and a space that is social in the way social media is social, but it's not a space for social performativity or, or commodifying your performance of self in the way that social media sometimes is a space of authenticity that connects head and heart is kind of what we're trying to do. And we've been doing some courses and I would just, sincerely like to invite anyone who is listening to this who is interested in that kind of space and that kind of experience whether you want to take some courses or maybe even possibly offer them or whether you want to just be part of the network and you know converse with people to join if you want to i it's hard to make it not sound like an advertisement because i really don't want it to be a brand or a product it's a place so this is more like a party invitation than an advertisement um, <laughs> I like it's that. Important to distinguish that. <laughs> no, I like that. It's a party invitation, maybe a space where we can come together as like-minded individuals and yeah. learn and grow from each other. Maybe you know, in a in, in a in a great or maybe even playful sense. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I want to make sure that people know where to find that. It's going to be in the description below, and also. Uh, and I'm not going to be able to say it as well as you, Nathan. Grokist? Grokist. You got it. Yeah, you Grokist. nailed it. Yep, yep. Symposium 2. Mm -hmm. It is on the screen. For those of you listening in, you got to go to the description. I apologize because I'm not going to be able to say this, but click and paste whatever you need to do to access this. But, I mean, you've heard it today. Nathan is brilliant, and he <laughs> he has so much to offer. And I invite you to check out his YouTube channel as well. But I want to leave this on the screen for a little bit longer because this is direct access to the next big thing that he is inviting you to this awesome party. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And on Thursday, we have like a, um, yeah, the symposium, which literally means a drinking together. That's the etymology of the word symposium. The sim wow. means together and the post part means drinking. And so, yeah, it was like this, essentially it was the original philosophy party, like a bunch of Greeks would get together and they would drink wine and then discourse on the nature of things and, you know, just chop it up. And so that's what we're doing. It's online. So you can drink whatever you want in the company of uh, whoever's in your physical space, but also in the company of us and we'll be drinking whatever we're drinking. So. And in the safety and comfort of your own home exactly. where you don't right. have to worry about any sort of consequence that may yeah. happen and yeah. partake in as you venture out into the world. I love that. I, I, I think that that's a, a great thing that we're able to come together virtually and learn from each other. And also just it, it helps build the community. And 
gosh, what that did, you know, we had this global pandemic, but it really did shine this unique opportunity for us to really be able to hold each other in a space that wasn't necessarily physical. Not that it is something that we we should go away from. I feel that we should still have that physical time together, but it just brings in that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It's a huge opportunity that like any huge opportunity comes with a ton of problems, but it doesn't mean you don't do it. Awesome. Yes. Nathan, it has been such a pleasure and an honor having you on the show. Same. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience today? Um, I think I would just like to share my gratitude. Thank you for experiencing this in whatever capacity you have. Thank you to you, April. I just appreciate your your insights and your attitude and your creative and collaborative spirit in making this exist. And so, yeah, whatever little threads anybody who's listening is feeling that that feel like by the pulling of them, they open you more and connect you to something more or show you that to which you're connected, keep pulling them. That's my plan. Keep pulling them. I like that. It's a great plan. Thank you so much, Nathan, for being on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Thank you so much to our audience who is supporting and tuning in. Without you, we couldn't do what we're doing. So thank you and goodbye for now. We will see you later.